Well, as we are working our way through Colossians 3, we have been talking about sanctification. After a person it believes, they are justified. But now there's this time where they're on earth and they go to be with the Lord that it's up to them whether they are willing to partner with God and become a disciple. Not every believer becomes a disciple, but they deny themselves, take up the cross to follow Jesus, to be as fruitful as God has ordained them to be fruitful, to walk in those predestined works that God's laid out in front of them. And then as we put our head on the pillow at night, we said, Lord, I've said all, I smiled at all, I hugged all, I spoke to all, I did all that you have led me to do in this day. And we'd have that fruitfulness. The Lord says that would be rewards in heaven. And so he's now breaking down sanctification into various relationships. Last week, we looked at the husband and the wife. Today, we're going to look at the children and parents. And a note, a quick note to dads on the other side of the coin. And then next week, employers, employees, or slaves to slave owners. And we're going to talk about that uh, next week as we uh, finish up chapter 3 and head into the first verse of chapter 4. But let's go back by remembering and and, and read verses 12 through 17 of chapter 3. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy beloved, put on tender mercies and kindness and humility and meekness and longsuffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonition and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as we are going to look at the child-parent relationship today, and look a bit on parenting, it doesn't always apply. I, I, I can tell you, I remember uh, through my teenage years and through 20s, I'd hear a sermon going, that's, that's not gonna, that doesn't apply to my life. But that week, it applied to my life. And I'm like, thank you, Lord, telling me ahead. I, I hate being behind, you know? It's like, oh, that would have been a great thing to know last week. Thank you. You're a week behind. But it's cool being a week ahead. And, and, and just like the marriage we talked about last week, the singles are going, I'm not married. You need to hear dozens of sermons on marriage before you ever get out of your teenage years. All that information, all that wisdom and knowledge filling up the shelves of the warehouse of information and inspiration that you'll need. Sometimes when we read God's word, it's very inspirational. But often God's word is just informational. It didn't necessarily give me a devotional buzz <laughs> like we sometimes like when we come to church, but it's strong, solid, foundational information that we need to know and be reminded of. I love it in Peter's epistle. He says, I'm not telling you guys anything new. Everything I'm writing, you've heard before, but I'm giving it to you by reminder. And really that's the pastor's job is reminding you, hopefully you know the scriptures well, hopefully by the age of 12. But, and, and, and you're not going to be hearing something new. It, it'll be deeper as you grow deeper in the Lord. It'll be a different season of your life. So that information and that inspiration will affect you differently because you have grown as a person, hopefully. But hopefully it's nothing new. They always say if it's new, it's probably not true. <laughs> And if it's true, it's not new. So hopefully, you know, you don't hear some new doctrine, but it's the same thing over and over again, but in a different, deeper way as you go. So if you don't have children, or maybe you're a grandparent, you can help disciple your kids or uh, in helping them to, to re- be reminded of how we're to be according to Scripture. Colossians, like last week, you know, in Ephesians, he gives a whole bunch of information on marriage. Colossians, he gave two little sentences. 
Well, in the same way, in, in Ephesians, he goes into the parenting thing a bit more. Actually, a whole extra concept on honoring parents and, and, the, and the promise from God if you do honor your parents. But here in Colossians, it's abbreviated again. Uh, and so, in essence, Colossae would be reading the letter from Ephesians, and Ephesians would be reading the letter from Colossae. So they're all getting the various letters of Paul. So Paul didn't feel it necessary to completely repeat himself entirely in each of the letters, but just briefly touches on it. And so that brings us to verse 20 today. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, the word techno, it's a very general term for kids. And uh, it can really be for any age. But in particular, it's, it's talking about kids in the home still that are still under the authority of their parents. They need to obey. Now, we looked at this in Ephesians where when the kids are in the home, they need to obey. But once they're adults and they're on their own, it now changes from obeying parents to honoring your parents. At least listen to them and take their wisdom, especially as they get older in age, that you would honor by taking care of them. We'll look at that today. The word obey here is, again, to have a listening heart, have a hearkening heart with respect, uh, to hear and saying, I'm listening to one in authority over me. And again, you see kids as they grow older in your home. And, you know, it, it, it's a sad day, really, for every child, especially every son, when he realizes now I'm a peer with my dad. And then there's a point where as the parents get older, the son becomes the parent to the child the, the, who was their parent as you take care of them in their older age. But it is, a, it is a day when the child, even though he's in the home, feels he's a peer. I, I remember my oldest son turned 18, and he ran right out to, and rented an R-rated movie. It wasn't horrible, but in our home, one of my convictions was we don't watch R-rated movies. And, uh, and he had it in, and he was watching it. And I said, I came home and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you got two choices. You can finish this movie and then pack up and you're gone. Or you can stop the movie and continue to live here. It's up to you. And uh, he took the movie back. Um, and again, it's not uncommon for kids to try to challenge the boundaries as they get older. But these were convictions. And that's what I taught my kids. As long as they're in my house, they will not only uh, obey the Lord, but they'll obey mine and Cheryl's convictions. So when they're on their own, they can have their own convictions. They can take all the form we gave them as they grew up and they can chuck it to the wind and, and live according to their own standards. That's their choice. But as long as they're in the house that God's providing Cheryl and I, as long as they are eating the food that God's provided for us, as long as they're being protected by the roof from the elements that are protecting Cheryl and I, they will not only follow the rules, but our convictions as well as the Lord. So if we pray for our food, you're going to pray for the food. If we go to church on Sunday, you're going to church on Sunday. You are a part of the unit. We're not going to have two separate units here in the house. We're all one unit of one accord, of one mind. And the day you can't do that is the day you need to, to, to move out. But again, it's clearly saying the parent is the boss of the children. The parent has authority over their children. The parents are to submit or excuse me, the children are to submit to the authority of their parents. Um, one of the great leaders who was in England came back and, and uh, they said, well, what did you think of America? This is back in the 
1800s, and he said, I, I am amazed how obedient the parents are to their children. Um, so hopefully that is not the way it looks. But you think about obedience, it's only when there's conflict. You know, if you're wanting a piece of chocolate cake and I say, as a parent, I command you, you eat that piece of chocolate cake. Okay, you know me, I'm an obedient child. I'm gonna eat that chocolate cake. There's really no obedience in that, is there? The only time there really is obedience is when I wanna do something and the parents said, I can't do it. Or I don't wanna do something and the parents say, I have to do it. Then there's conflict because my will and their will are two different paths. And anybody under authority has to slam on the brakes to their own mind, to their own will, and they have to change and line up with the will of the person and authority over them. Jesus had that conflict with his parents when he was in human flesh on the earth. Remember that story in Luke 2 where Jesus has his bar mitzvah there in Jerusalem, most likely. And the parents are in the caravan heading back to Nazareth after the holiday times in Jerusalem. But Jesus goes and he's in the temple and he's sitting with the rabbis discussing the scriptures. And the rabbis were amazed at, at the insight he had. And his parents were down the road a day or two and they realized, hey, Jesus isn't with one of his cousins. He's not in another place sleeping. They just assumed he was in the caravan somewhere. But when they tried to find him, they couldn't. They went back to Jerusalem, found him in the temple, and boy, did they scold him. And, and they said, why are you doing this to your father and I? And Jesus said, I assumed you guys knew I'm about my father's business. Not referring to Joseph, but referring to God, his father. And his parents were having none of it. You're coming right now with us, and don't give us any lip on it. <laughs> and Jesus went back, and it says there in Luke 2.51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and look at, was submissive to them, and his mother treasured up all the things in her heart. Now, the culture of this time, you didn't ever live by yourself. You always lived with your family until marriage, basically. But Jesus submitted himself when he was 13, 14, 15, all the way to 30 years old. He continued to submit to his mother. Seems like his father Joseph had died. So he was helping raise a number of other children that Mary and Joseph had. And uh, it would be interesting to think of Mary as a single mom uh, raising all those kids, but she had the support of Jesus up until he was 30. But even then, Jesus is, hey, I'm leaving home. I'm of the age. And 30, you were uh, completely um, in the culture, seen as an adult in every way. Of course, he did really at 12, but you no longer had to be under the submission of your parents. And he started his ministry, and it had been going a few days when there was a wedding he had committed to. And him and his apostles all came to the wedding. And, and Mary said, I'm so glad you're here. They've run out of wine already. Take care of that. And Jesus says, mother, or actually he said, woman, <laughs> what, what do I have to do with you? I, I'm no longer under your authority where I need to obey your commands. And she looked at the servant saying, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And she walks away. She was still confident that he would do, obey her, even though he was 30 years old and out the door. And, um, and of course he did. He did obey his mother. The first miracle ended up being a rather confusing one, changing water into wine. You know, it would have been better to raise the dead or cure somebody from leprosy. But no, it's making wine when they already drank too much to begin with. It's like, oh, okay. But in essence... The very first miracle was really a teaching to us on submitting to your parents, even the earth, especially the earthly ones. And in this case, it seemed to be in conflict with the heavenly father, but not a sin to, you know, to do what she wanted, 
but yet it seemed to be in conflict that, hey, I'm about my father's business now, no longer about your earthly business, Mary, but he still obeyed her and did it. Boy, the Proverbs talks a lot about this. And let's not forget that Solomon was the wisest man on earth. But you know, it's interesting as you read through the Proverbs, he gives credit to his father, David, and how he raised him. And he gives credit to his mother, Bathsheba, and the wonderful character she had, as you read Proverbs 31. And so Solomon, in essence, is saying that a lot of the wisdom that I have was based on my childhood, on how I was raised. And really, if you want to attribute anything to me of my wisdom, it was the fact that I listened and obeyed. And he says that will happen to any child who has such a mindset. And so in Proverbs 13.1, it says, A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 15.5, A foolish, a fool despises his father's instructions, but he who receives correction is prudent. In Proverbs 1, 8, and 9, My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Proverbs 3, 1, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. Proverbs 3, 4, And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. Interesting that he says here that if you have this submitted, obedient spirit, that you'll, your character, your demeanor will find favor with man and with God. And you know, right after it says Jesus submitted to his parents, the very next thing it tells us about Jesus's growing up years, in Luke 2.52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and then notice, in favor with God and men. Interesting. So there is that season of our life that we need to submit to our parents. Now, are there exceptions to this? Yes, especially in such an ungodly culture as we have today. If parents were to tell their kids to do something contrary to what God would have them to do. Then we got to come and say like they did in Acts and say we got to obey God rather than man. Now, it's hard to imagine growing up as a kid that my parents would ever ask me to do anything that would be wrong. But I can tell you in the last 40 plus years of pastoring, I have had teenage kids being asked by their parents to do all kinds of horrible things, to buy drugs for them, to sell drugs for them, because they're minors, if they get caught, it's, it's not a very um, severe punishment because they're still uh, children. Um, in these last days that we live in, we see, we're seeing a lot of child molestation. We're seeing... Uh, a lot of evil, wicked, six things. I, I don't want to go into them, and I'm sorry that I even mentioned the things that I, I did mention. But I told my kids when they grew up, look, you don't really have one dad. You actually have two. This dad you're looking at, he makes mistakes. He doesn't always do what he should do. I'm a sinner. But and, and I'm only your dad for a while. And then <clears throat> I'll be gone. You'll be out as adults and, and our, our paths will split and, and you won't have me in your life being your father anymore. But you have a heavenly father who will never leave you nor forsake you. And hopefully as an earthly dad, I'm pointing you to your heavenly father. And so I would never ask you to do something that would violate that. Hopefully I'm in agreement with the Heavenly Father and I'm doing the best I can for a season and then he's taking over. 
And so you need to understand that you're always going to have a father in your life giving you instruction. And so God's giving you this earthly father to teach you how to live with your heavenly father. Because now you do this little thing wrong as a child and I spank you and you have pain in your butt. A lot of blubber back there. You're not going to be injured permanently. But you'll, you'll get the pain soaring through your body and going to your brain and saying, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I don't want pain in my life. So I'm not going to do that again because I don't want to have this kind of pain. But when you go as an adult, the pain's going to be there. But it won't be from me spanking you. It'll be from you spanking yourself. It'll be with your boss or your teachers or your landlord. And if you will keep not submitting, it'll be your jailer or your prison guard. You will submit, okay? But if you don't submit to parents, you probably won't submit to teachers. And if you don't, if you don't like the fact your teachers are trying to give you guidance, you're not gonna like the fact that your boss is telling you, you're one minute late, do it again, you're fired. Oh, I hate this boss. He's so, uh, yeah. Isn't it interesting that your parents were idiots and now your teachers are idiots and now your boss is an idiot and now that police officer's putting you in handcuffs, an idiot, and how the prison guards are a bunch of idiots. You've had nothing but idiots ruling over you. Well, maybe the common denominator is you. And you're going to get to that place where you have that heart of submission one way or another. It's better just to start with it and to understand that this is the season that God has given you. And so he says, submit to your parents. Now, I, I, we need to all submit to the elderly, um, especially those elderly people in the Lord Peter tells us that in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Likewise, you young people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another. Really, we all should have a listening, submitted heart to one another, right? We're all servants of one another. And be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Amen? I know that I got to that place where I am just amazingly humble. It took a lot of work. Don't, don't try. It might strain yourself. No. I mean, obviously, we, there's just that stubborn heart. Remember Paul talk, when uh, Saul confronted, when Samuel the prophet confronted Saul in, in 1 Samuel 15, and Samuel said, oh, I, I destroyed the Amalekites like you told me to, and I didn't take any of their stuff. Well, what's the bleeding I hear of the sheep? Oh, well, those, the people wanted them. I couldn't stand in their way, you know. They want to sacrifice them to God. And then Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And then what does he say? Submission, or excuse me, um, rebellion is as witchcraft. And stubbornness is the same as idolatry. Wow. God who looks on the heart, that's what he sees. When he sees stubbornness, he sees witchcraft. When he sees rebellion, he sees idolatry. We want to get past that season of our life where we indeed do come into submission. And it's, so it's not really about the person anymore. It's really about me, right? And so we're not necessarily to submit to all adults in the way we would submit to our own parents. Just like we talked about last week, wives aren't to submit to all men. Wives are to submit to their own husband. Well, here in the same way, children submit to your own parents. So there's a, there's a submission that says, I, I acknowledge the fact that God has put this authority into my life and I'm submitting to it because this is what God has of course, in Ephesians, again, he adds honoring. He adds honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with that a promise 
that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. So there is a promise that you'll have a a more fulfilling life. When it says long, it's not talking about living a long time. It's talking about having a deep, fulfilled life, that you will have a fulfilled life um, on this earth if you have learned the first round of submission, (laughs) right? You submit to your parents, and then you submit to your teachers, you submit to your boss, you submit to the laws of the land, and you're submitting to God. That's, that's the key of what God has uh, for us. However, we are to continue to honor our parents even into their old age, especially into their old age. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 3 and 4, it says, Honor widows who are really widows, but if any widow has children or grandchildren. Let them first learn, that's continually learn for their whole lifetime, to show piety or respect at home and to repay their parents for this is good and acceptable before God. So they're not really a widow indeed who's to be taken care of by the church if they have children or grandchildren. And they need to, children and grandchildren need to be taught. God's commanded, I understand you're an adult child and maybe even your own kids have moved out. But you have to honor your parents until they die. You need to continue to take care of them. Boy, he has really strong language in chapter 5, verse 8. He goes on to say, but if anyone, of 1 Timothy 5, 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, referring back to the parents, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. He is saying that your testimony in the society is, even though you are born again, you're you're being disrespectful to God as a non-believer is disrespectful to God not believing in him. And then he says, in all things, spiritual things and practical things. And uh, again, there's people who don't want to submit, who always learn to do fancy footwork (laughs) to get around it, you know. Um, Let me explain to you why I don't have to do what my parents are telling me right now. And boy, listen to them, you're, wow, you're you're amazing how you came up with this uh, story um, but it doesn't fly. There, there needs to be a submission. And, you know, the, there are a point where kids are smarter than their parents sometimes, especially in more modern type things, especially in our generation with technology. You know, the kids are trying to explain to us how to turn on a, a laptop and we still can't get it, you know. And then, uh, you know, you, you're at that, that place, you know, my, my wife or my mother-in-law say, how do you do this? And I'm like, I'll take care of that. And I'll turn the power off and turn the power back on and it's fixed, right? So when my wife says, oh, I need you to fix this. I'm like, did you turn the power off and turn it back on yet? Uh, no, let me do that. It's so funny how we, we kids, kids get irritated with their parents because they think they're smarter, especially in the technology stuff. But The kids need to understand in all things they need to submit. Now, you know, just a quick note, personally, you know, on the flip side of that coin, I did want my kids to know the whole Bible the time they were 12. You know, I had a good storybook Bible and it left out the genealogies and left out some of the, you know, PG-13 uh, things that are there and sort of rearrange the words um, and some of the passages in the scripture that are on homosexuality or on adultery or murder and stuff. But they had, by the time they were 12, we had read through that Bible so many times. They did know all of the, the scriptures. And, and then they, of course, at 12 and above, they, they really need to start reading the Bible for themselves and learning the Bible for themselves. And, um, and by the grace of God, that, that did happen with the kids. And I do believe it was essential. The other things that I just wanted them to, to be was an on-fire Christian. You know, I often, 
would, you know, counsel, do premarital counseling and ask the person, uh, is this person you're wanting to marry a, a radically on fire Christian? Well, I, I know that he believes in God, but, uh, you know, I, he doesn't like church or the Bible or singing or praying or it's like, okay, as wonderful as they are, you know, I would tell my kids, I want you to marry somebody more on fire for the Lord than you are. You don't want to marry somebody less on fire for the Lord. You want to marry somebody more on fire for the Lord. And so I, I saw it as really to prepare my kids for life is they need to be on fire Christians. And so I just simply said, you know, when me and your mom goes to church, you go to church and I'd tell them at three years old, someday you're going to be a teenager. I know you don't understand what this means, but you're going to get 14 and one day you're going to tell me, dad, I'm an adult now and I'm going to choose church or religion or God on my own. And I'm going to say, fine, but you're still going to church. <laughs> so don't ever, don't ever debate me on this. And I told them at four and five and six and seven. And when they got 14, they're like, dad, what have I been telling you the last, uh, you know, 10 years in a row? Don't ask because it's not going to happen. And so they never had a bitterness over it because they never had an argument over it. And they understood that when I'm at the church, they're at the church to go to church. Even though I'm the pastor, it didn't matter. And, um, and I really do think that that helped, especially the Sunday nights where uh, we had afterglow times of seeking the Lord. The kids' hearts were greatly touched. And, and then the in-depth verse-by-verse on Wednesday nights, I think, really matured them, especially in their teenage years. And uh, the other thing that Cheryl and I set out to do was to have devotions. You know, when they were little kids, read another chapter, read another chapter, read another chapter. And so every night you could read two hours the, going through the Bible stories with them. That's why we read through the whole Bible so many times. But then they began to get into their junior high and high school years. They have a lot of homework and a lot of other distractions. And I just said, five minutes. We'll just start having five minutes devotion. So the devotions kept getting later and later. You know, when they were in their high school college days, you know, we're having a devotional at 1030 at night for five minutes. It kept getting later. But that was okay. We just kept going with the season. But we would read through the Bible and I would have a read a little bit, have a little thought, ask them if they had a thought. Sometimes they did. And it was my wife's desire that they would all get on their knees as little tiny kids and pray together as a family. So we'd get on our knees and everybody would pray. And uh, we were done. And in five, 10 minutes, they knew that it'd be short. And they came in, they got started right away. But typically once a week or for sure once a month, one of the kids would say, hey, let me ask you a question. And that would start in a conversation that would last an hour or two hours. Sometimes all the kids wanted to hear it, and then some of the kids were like, hey, I got, I'm leaving, I'm staying with the one kid, and just have a wonderful discipleship time with them. And my kids, now that they're all in their 30s, they say, man, that, was, that saved my life <laughs> as a teenager, and, and uh, starting to be bad company, cups good morals, or you know, being out on Friday nights, and you have no idea where I'm at and what I'm doing at 17 or 18. Yeah, the, those devotional were, were absolutely key. And so I, I think with my kids and them submitting, those were the, the key elements that they're all uh, walking with the Lord. They all are strong Christians to this day. I'm very, very thankful. Well, the very second part of children obeying their parents is for this is pleasing to the Lord. In Ephesians 6.1, he changes that and says, in the Lord, obey them in the Lord, for this is right or righteous. So obeying your parents is something that is right in God's sight. So that's an important thing. It's not just like we read last, say last week, it's not the husband telling his wife, you need to submit to me. That's evil. It's not the wife telling her husband what he's to be doing as a husband, the role. They're both to shut their ears and wife, here's what you're to be doing. Husband, here's what you're to be doing. In essence, here he's telling the kids. He's talking directly to the kids. 
This is what God expects you. You're not obeying your parents because your parents want you to. You need to obey your parents because God is wanting you to. And this is what he has designed. And so if you're not obeying your parents, the offense, the greatest offense, is that you're not obeying me and the school of submission I've set up for you. And so in Ephesians 6.1, he says, In the Lord, for this is right. In Colossians 3.20, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord, or in the Lord. God has arranged this season. Now, some people have great home lives. I think they're few and far between, but there's Ozzie and Harriet's, uh, you know, out there, and, and uh, they had a good home life, and their parents were very respectable, reasonable people, and, and the kids sort of had an easy time of it. I think they're going to have other more difficult schools of submission. But then there's those who have a very difficult time. Alcoholic parents, drug addicted parents, uh, parents that are just all into their careers and they, their kids are always a, a nuisance in the way. And as soon as they can, the parents can get on vacation and leave the kids behind, the better. Um, that was the mindset of some uh, very hard parent to submit to. David now, I, I think King David had the hardest because he had to submit to his father-in-law, Saul, who also was the king. Double submission. But man, this guy's trying to unrighteously kill David. He's accusing David of treason when David did the opposite of that. He was innocent. And this went on for years and years where David's running for his life and Saul's trying to kill him. But through that whole story, David never once was disrespectful, but always submitted to him and loved him. And Saul would come to his rightness of his mind when David would say, hey, Saul, father, I love you. I, I respect you. I submit to you. And I won't let anybody touch you or hurt you. And I, I'm submitted to you. And he was. And, and David, uniquely in the course of history, is a man after God's own heart who does all his will. And so I understand that sometimes parents make it difficult for the kids. Understand, though, it's not about your parents. It's all about you. David submitted to Saul when Saul loved him and put him in charge of the armies and said, this is the greatest son I've ever had, David. David submitted then, but then David submitted when it couldn't get worse. David didn't change. Later on, it would switch where David's son Absalom hated David and didn't respect him and tried to overthrow him. And David, as a dad now, as the one in authority, the dad and the king, how he treated Absalom was an amazing thing. Didn't get bitter at him and, uh, and didn't wish him to be injured or, or dead. But that's a, another story. But David became this amazing man after God's own art who did his will by having to submit in incredibly hard situations. He grew up the youngest of several brothers. His dad had no respect for him. And then Saul eventually had no respect for him and wished him dead. And so understand this, that even though it is a hard thing to put yourself under their authority, know that God is going to use it for his glory, whether a good time in life or a difficult home life, a good home life or a bad home life, either way, it's a part of God's school for you. And um, so why obedience? Because it's pleasing to the Lord, it tells us here in Colossians. In Ephesians 6, it says, because this is right. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and what? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Be careful when you're making yourself an exception to the rule. 
be careful. I've, I've had kids tell me that typically kids should you know, submit to their parents, but I'm an exception to the rule. Here's why. Now, I know Christians should read their Bible every day, but I'm an exception to the rule. I know most Christians go to church every Sunday, at least once a week, but I'm an exception to the rule. I don't have to, I mean, you start making yourself an exception because you're in a different place than everybody else, or you have a, a different situation than everybody else, and that's why I don't have to be an ordinary, everyday, regular Christian because of my spouse, or my kids, or my husband, or my work, or my whatever. Be careful, because God is your Father, and if you try to get around one authority, He's going to confront you. So I just say to you children, if you try to get around your parents, well, they want me to do this, but I'm not going to. They're going to think I'm doing it, but I'm not going to do it. And you're trying to get around your earthly father. You're going to come around the corner, and you're going to be confronted by your heavenly father. Um, that's the point. So how in all things in the Lord you need to submit, and don't try to get around your earthly father, because your heavenly father won't allow it. Proverbs 22:15 says, "Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child." How true that is. God says, spank them. In Hebrews 12, 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's disciplines, like spanking. And he scourges, that's the word whipping, every son whom he receives. So you're, you're not going to get away with it. God won't allow it. And like I said, if he's got to give you a difficult teacher or a different landlord or a different difficult boss or the, the worst drill sergeant the Marines ever had, <laughs> He's gonna, you're going to get in a situation where the, the ratio is the same. The person I have to submit to is dumber than me. The person I'm having to submit to is not um, as uh, aware of the world as I am. The person that I'm having to submit to is really a lesser person than me. You're going to get in the same ratio, and you're going to have to obey because there is no way forward if you're not humble of heart and submitted. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Just, just a note here. The odds of actually having a good home life these days is very rare. To have two parents stay together in a marriage is incredibly rare. So as I'm talking, most of you guys have probably grown up in a single family home, either with the dad or the mom. Your parents were divorced. As I'm here, most of you here have been divorced and are on your second marriage or third or fourth or fifth. And so if you are a child who has both parents, and they're both your parents, that you, and they're still together, that's an extremely rare gift. Cherish it. But typically, it's easier to obey one parent than the other. Well, I, I don't mind obeying the one parent because they're more reasonable. The other parent's unreasonable. Well, the one parent is not very nice. The other one's nice. The other parent I can respect. The other parent I can't respect. There's, there's always that, well... I'm submitted to my dad. I'm submitted to my mom. But I'm not, you know, God knows I can't submit to that other person in my life. And the Bible's pretty clear here. Parents, plural. Sometimes dads can be very scary or very harsh. And I don't want to get on their bad side. Especially if they're alcoholic or addicted to some drug. You know, they can become a very difficult, unreasonable, dysfunctional home. I'm very sorry for that. It's very common these days, especially now marijuana is being legalized. Um, you know, uh, probably in another 10 years, I'll be preaching to most people that are coming down off a high of some sort or another, if the Lord tarries. But again, even in that scenario, you need to submit to both of your parents. This is well-pleasing to God. It is necessary. Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 23 says, My son, keep your father's command 
and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually on your, upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the law a light. Reproof and instruction are the ways of life. For those of you who were single parents or those who have been raised by a single parent, again, I just say to you, honor your mother or your father, whichever single parent that is. It's an impossible position to be the mom and the dad. And especially as kids become teenagers, they can just literally run mom right over and, and leave her in the tracks. Often uh, one teenage kid can be full of energy and overwhelming to that one single mom who's been working all day. She gets home, she cleans the house, she pays the bills, she does the, gets the dinner and she's exhausted and you got this kid wanting to go somewhere where any parent in their right mind would not let them go there or not do something they got to do. And, and this single parent is just literally being outmatched with energy and forcefulness. And, and to, to realize if you're a child right now in that situation, honor them. Obey them and honor them. Don't, just because you can get away with it doesn't mean that it's the right and good thing for you to do. Matter of fact, the opposite. And I just simply say, one day you're going to look back at how you treated your mother or your father, that single parent, and you're going to be very thankful for them. And you could end up feeling very sorry the way you loved them and obeyed them and honored them. You can look back going, I'm so sorry I gave you 10 years of hell, Mom. I'm so sorry that I made... Uh, you, you know, give you an ulcer and turn to your hair gray, Dad. I, I'm so sorry. Don't, you don't want to do that. You don't want to look back with regret. In Psalms 68, 5, it says, a father is the, God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of the widows. To God, he is holy habitation. So widows aren't just those who have a dead husband. A, a woman become widowed by abandonment. A widow could become a widow by the fact the husband's an alcoholic or drug addict and, and uh, had to leave the home because he was abusive. And, of course, divorce. A lot of guys run off with uh, the secretary or whatever. Um, and, and, again, for whatever reason, she's a mom having to be the, the support, the financial support, and emotional support and the spiritual support for these kids. In Psalms 82, verse 3, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and the needy. So God is the father to the fatherless. God's going to step in there and be gracious to you. So even though it's like, I don't have a dad and this is so hard, this is so hurtful, mom is so unreasonable and so mean. And, and, you know, if I had a dad, my life would be so much better. It's true. But God steps in there and he's your dad. Just one little quick side note, prophetically, one of the signs of the times before the Lord's return is disobedient to parents. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. And he continues the list. So again, uh, if you're seeing a generation that virtually none of the kids have respect for their parents, that is the generation uh, when the Lord is returning. We're getting there. We're, if we're not there already, we're getting there. In a couple more weeks, I'm going to be doing a, a, a teaching on why I believe the Lord's return is near, and I think it'll be shocking. I really do. Well, in verse 21, now the other side, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Especially in the Roman Empire, the leadership style was just very forceful. You, you had you had almost more slaves than non-slaves. And, and they had total power over the slave. And so, you know, you had, you had sort of this series, if you're above the person, you treat them harshly and rude and you keep them in their place and they do what you 
what they're supposed to do because you're threatening them. And that's the reason you're doing it. But no, that is not the style of Lord. That's where it says when Paul and Barnabas came, they turned the world upside down. And indeed they did. Before I get started on this, though, I, I just typically, when I, I say this, I'll have parents come up after me, older parents who've already raised their kids, saying, I feel so bad, you know, how horrible of a parent I was. And they feel condemned. And the devil, I think, really takes an opportunity to beat them up. I, I really don't know any parents that go, man, I did a spectacular job. You know, every parent I know says, man, I, I can... I keep getting reminded of this situation when my kid was 12 and they were, oh, I was such a horrible parent in that instant. I was, you know, they have memories, bad memories of, of what they should have done and how they should have been and, and they beat themselves up for it. Don't, don't do that. I don't think God's wanting you to feel condemned when you read the Bible. We did the best we could at that time with what tools we had and emotional mindset that we had and and energy that we had, and the finances we had, we did the best we could when we could. And was it uh, perfect? No, because we're not perfect human beings, and you, you can't change it. So why condemn yourself for it? Amen? So fathers, don't provoke your children. So parents, particular dads, have the responsibility to not make their children mad and angry, and then the result of that is discouraged. There's just unjustified behaviors of a parent that will almost always do this. One is just being harsh. A harshness can be expressed in words or through actions or non-verbally by ignoring them, just giving them a look. But the kid basically feels when the parent is there, they feel condemned. They feel criticized. They feel like they're failing and, and, and they're bad, they feel bad about themselves when the parent is in their presence. It shouldn't be that way, right? Another way is being too demanding. You know, there's some parents that say, well, when I was your age, you know, trying to make it sound like they were perfect at 15. Now, this is what I expect of you. I got straight A's all through high school. They didn't, but they're telling their kids they did. Um, I never talked to my parents like that. <laughs> I think you're, you did. You just don't remember it, maybe. But they, they try to give their kids some hurdle to jump over that nobody can jump over, and, and, and it causes them to be discouraged. Be too controlling. There are helicopter parents, aren't there, that they literally smother their children and, and are just controlling everything Every, every second, I had a friend in high school, his mother the night before set out what he was to wear. And if he ever changed it, he, he would get the scolding of his life. And I'm talking about when he's 15 and 16 and he's telling him, mom, hey, I can pick up my own clothes. No, you can't. Um, a, a dad being unforgiving. You know, kids can be cruel. You know, especially if it's to the wife. You know, you come home and the kids have really beat up the wife and, and uh, their mom, and, and uh, you can be really upset about that. I'll tell you what, I couldn't... I, all, all four of my kids crashed my car um, several times when they were in their teenage years. And I'm still a little bitter about it, but that's, that's another... Bitterness is just another subject. But... Anyway, sometimes people can get unforgiving or just be a plain angry person, you know, the South Pole elf, you know, just sort of an angry person. And, and they blame their anger on their children because their children do suck the life out of you. Children do take a lot of energy. Children are always challenging you and you're having to make hard decisions constantly. And so, you know, you get home from a hard day's work and then the kids exhaust you until they go to bed. Go to bed. It's only 530 and I'm 18 years old. Oh, okay. Um, you're exhausting me. But then the, the dad can just sort of get angry with the kids. And, and maybe it's the kid's fault because the kid has a bad behavior, or get, keeps getting kicked out of school or... Um, keeps getting bad grades. And maybe it is the kid's fault. But 
it doesn't make it right that you can live as an angry dad. Um, and so again, if you're an angry parent, you are going to have angry kids. I don't know why my kids are so angry, because you're angry with them all the time. That's what you're modeling for them. And so don't, don't be amazed when you're angry with them when you're with them, but then they're angry when we're, they're at school or other locations. And so be aware of this. Your behavior is affecting the behavior of your kids. And their character is the way it is because the way you are, they're reacting to that. And so you don't want to be an angry parent. Probably the fastest way to provoke your kids is to have rules without relationship. That always breeds anger and discouragement in kids. You can have rules, but you also need to make sure you have a relationship with your children. So when the kids are sharing with you why they want to do what they want to do, don't just say, no. Well, I didn't tell you what's happening. It doesn't matter. You're not going. You see what I'm saying? That can discourage the kids. Have a relationship with them. Listen to what they're saying. Let them. Have you noticed it takes a while sometimes for people to say what they really wanted to say? They try. They rephrase it. They try again. They rephrase it. They try it again. They rephrase it. Especially in those teenage years, they're having to learn how to communicate. Rarely do they say it the way they want it the first time. It usually takes them a couple of minutes. And they are saying sort of the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, I got it, I got it. No, you don't. Let them finish. How do you know when to talk? When they tell you it's your turn to talk. You know, psychologists get paid a lot of money just to not say anything. Just let the person talk. And so as a parent, just let them talk. Listen to their heart. Listen, show them respect. Be patient with them. Don't provoke them by not having a relationship and not listening to them. Then the last way I, I want to mention, I'm sure there's many others, is just being inconsistent. Sometimes when parents have energy, they have, they have one set of rules. When they have no energy, they have the I don't cares, it's another set of rules. That confuses a child more than anything. And so it's like, Hey, did you see dad? Well, what kind of dad is he today? <laughs> today, he's the permissive dad. This is a great time to tell him about you wrecked a car. This is exhausted day. Yeah, this is a great time to get that information in that you got an F on your last test. And then you got the dad who has energy and he's all strict and he read his Bible and he's all self-righteous and ah, oh, I just stay away, you know, hide have diarrhea and just be in the bathroom for two hours. Just stay away from him. And it's hard for a kid. One day, this is the rules, very legalistic, very hard. The next day, there's no rules and a complete permissive parent. That is so confusing and will definitely cause them to not know how to live, but also cause them to be very discouraged. And you don't want them, lest that child become discouraged. You know, there's a, a book called Wild of Heart. But if you haven't read it, I'll just tell you the conclusion of it. He says, dads, you have one job for your sons. And that is through your time of overseeing his life. In various ways, you've communicated to him, you're going to make it. Because am I smart enough? Am I talented enough? Will I have enough money for a wife and kids? Will I be the kind of person that somebody would want to marry? It will, you know, they, they want to know and they need to hear, yes, you're going to make it in life. You're going to make it as a Christian. You're going to make it as a husband. You'll be a great father. They need to communicate. You're going to make it. And I'll tell you what. Sons that don't get that from their dads are often very discouraged and can't seem to make it through college, can't seem to make it in marriage, can't seem to make it in being a good dad. 
They really do need that relationship and communication from the dad. What every dad needs to communicate to his daughter is, yes, you are pretty enough. In various ways that she is communicated, you are a beautiful person. You will be a beautiful wife. You will be an amazing mother. You are smart. And you have a great character. Your beauty goes deep. This is where dads are a key element. And that's why I wonder a couple of things, if that's why Paul is just addressing the dads. But also, I think it's why Satan has worked so hard in our lifetime to destroy the family and keep the dad out of kids' lives. Because kids can be easily manipulated, easily swayed, easily believe outrageous, crazy things as we see the whole generation doing because they are still looking for that affirmation that they didn't get from their dad. And so help your kids to not become discouraged. Well, the conclusion, I just want to read it with you, and I have six different points here. Tips to remember about kids and the right mindset for a good and godly parenting. Life is not easy for children, even children from a Christian homes. Don't forget, mom and dad, that even though their, their problems are not big for you, they are big to them. Point them to Jesus and help them to learn to look to him for wisdom and guidance. One of the best things you can ever do for a parent is to say, I don't know either, but James 1 says, if we need wisdom, let's ask of God. Let's pray about this. I'll tell you, it's changing, life-changing in a kid where you pray with your child and then see God's answer to prayer. My youngest son, Tracy, was born with faith. And, and uh, I can remember having a really bad migraine when he was maybe three years old. I, he was very young. And he's like, hey, let's go to the park and play. And I'm like, man, I just got to lay here. I got such a headache. Not for long, man. He just laid his hands on me and prayed. And, and uh, he said, okay, let's go. He fully believed God to do whatever we ask. He had a, such a gift of faith. And uh, it's, it's neat to pray with your kids. And then when they are full grown and have their own kids, to still pray with them and for them and to see God provide for them. Point them to Jesus. You'll do no better than that. We are parents are not perfect, but we should not demand that of our children. Number two. Listen carefully, share feelings and frustration of your kids. Pray for them, seek, seek to encourage them, help them to grow as a person in the Lord. Home ought to be the most encouraging place in the world. Do you know there's not a lot of encouragement in most locations? Especially things in the Lord. It's really your home. Children that are discouraged at home are often a prey for Satan and the world. If a child doesn't get encouraged at home, they will seek it somewhere else. Often parents are distracted by sin, distracted by career, fail to help their kids develop their gifts and find their calling in life. So many areas, a good home life will breed stability in school and career and relationships in the Lord, in the neighborhood. Number three, relationships, spending time with our kids, is the greatest way to encourage our kids. A survey in America said that fathers spend an average time of 37 seconds a day with their kids, outside of telling them to do their homework, clean their room, wash the dishes, and so forth. In our day, people's priorities are really messed up. Parents giving dedicated time to their kids can be a great encouragement, and not spending dedicated time with their kids can be a great discouragement. God has put these precious little ones into our hands as parents. It will only last a short time. Raising children is no doubt one of the biggest responsibilities in our entire lifetimes. Number four, children need their parents to be genuine role models. Don't be a hypocrite. It really makes kids' lives hard to listen and to obey you. 
and can also stumble them badly. We are, number five, we are to raise our kids as disciples just as the Lord is raising us up as disciples. We are to raise them in the name of the Lord and in his nature of the Lord. Teach our kids how they need the Lord and how they need to have faith in him. Teach them on all the life flows out of relationship with God. It is in him and by him that we can be what we need to be for our kids. Parents, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and speak to your kids in songs and hymns, spiritual songs, just as Colossians 3 tells us. Help your kids find and know their very presence of the Lord and then show them what it means to live daily in the presence of the Lord. Finally, conclusion, our homes are to be a place where our kids find encouragement, a refuge from the battle of the world, a place to receive strength to fight the battle. Home is a place a child should find a loving heart, a watching eye, a helping hand. Kids should find a home with parents submitted to the Lord. If kids grow up in such a godly home, they themselves will most likely also trust Christ and want to live for him. Lord, thank you for the information today of your word, of your mindset. And we ask, Lord, that each parent here, that you'd give them grace. Every person here that wants to be a parent, give them children, and then give them grace and wisdom to raise their children. And Lord, as grandparents, give us wisdom how to help our kids and our grandkids and, and being that parent to them in this season. And Lord, we come before you now and just ask that you would cause us to meditate on these things and to encourage and to help. In Jesus' name, amen.